within a few hundred years of Jesus' resurrection, his followers had spread out from Jerusalem to all across the known world. In fact, by the third century, little communities of Christians could be found in every city and every town of the entire Roman Empire. And while these early Christians were a part of the Roman Empire, they were far from accepted by the Roman Empire. Best case scenario, they were marginalized by their communities, but in most places, they were oppressed and persecuted. Many were enslaved. And in fact, thousands, maybe tens of thousands, were slaughtered for sport on the floor of the Roman Colosseum. And that is why it is so surprising that when a mid-third century plague hit the Roman Empire, those little Christian communities chose to care for the very people who had oppressed them. See, back then, nobody knew about germs and viruses and, and bacteria, but what people knew is the way that you got sick was from being around people who were sick. And so as that plague got worse and worse in the crowded cities, many of the healthy people abandoned the cities to socially distance out in the country leaving behind not just their sick neighbors, but many times even their own family members. And it is in that environment that several of these small Christian communities made the decision to stay behind and to care for the sick and the dying, putting their own lives at risk to care for the very people who had abused them. Why would they do that? Why would they make that decision? It's because they knew that following Jesus was not just about ascribing to a set of beliefs, and it wasn't about just belonging to some religious organization. They knew that following Jesus was about caring for others, about putting the needs of others ahead of their own. See, for them, words like love your neighbor as you love yourself and do unto others as you would have them do unto you, those weren't just pretty words to print on coffee mugs and wall hangings from Hobby Lobby. They were the creed by which they lived their lives. It is the driving force of who they were as individuals and who they were as a community. In fact, if you look back across the pages of history over the last 2,000 plus years, in almost every country on the earth, the first hospitals and the first schools were started by Christian churches. Now, I'm not trying to say that as Christians we have this perfect past of, of always doing the right thing. There are a lot of shameful things in our history as Christians, things like the Crusades, the, the Inquisitions, all of those things. But what I am saying is that caring for others is at the heart of who we are called to be as Christ followers. 
In fact, it's interesting in the book of Hebrews, when the author of that book encourages the church to gather together to worship, when he talks about the importance of lifting up the name of Jesus in worship and praising him, he also adds these words in verse 16. He says, and don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. Why? Because these are the sacrifices that please God. And so for the next month and a half, that's what we want to attempt to do as a church. To be intentional about not just going to church, but being the church wherever we go. When I was young, my grandmother taught me this simple little saying. Here is the church. Here is the steeple. Open the doors and here's all the people. I see my grandmother wasn't the only one who taught me that. And, and with due respect to all of our grandmothers, the truth is that little saying is wrong. It is inaccurate. What I mean by that is that this is not the church. This is the church. We are the church not only when we gather, but more importantly, we are the church when we scatter. We're not just called to go to church, we're called to be the church. And the church is not a building. It's not an institution. It's not an organization. It is a group of people called by God to love Him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love their neighbors as they love themselves. And that is what being the church is all about. You know, I know God has a sense of humor because we started this Be the Church journey all the way back at the beginning of March 2020. In fact, we had our first week, our kickoff week, and the following Sunday, we had to shut down in-person attendance. We got a crash course in how to be the church without being able to go to church, to see what it's like to live out our faith more than just in a large corporate gathering one hour, one day a week. And I believe, I am convinced now that we are able to gather, I think this is a great time for us to be reminded that as a church, the most important thing we do is not in here. It's what we do out there. And, and so today, to help us get ready for this Be the Church journey, I want us to look at three core principles to be the church. Three things that are essential if we really want to be the church. If this next month and a half is going to be more than just a time when we got cool t-shirts with a slogan, but to be an opportunity for us to live out our faith in the way Jesus has called us to do it. If that's going to happen, there are three things we got to be willing to do. Number one, we have to change our focus from internal to external. To be the church, we have to change our focus from internal to external. We have a saying here at Cedar Creek, it's not about me. 
We use that saying to remind us that the purpose of our lives is bigger than ourselves. That the universe was not created to revolve around us and what we desire and what we want. The church is not Burger King. We are not here to have it our way. And if that's true for us individually, then it must be true for us collectively as a church family. Now, I'm not saying that it doesn't matter what we do in here. I'm just saying our focus needs to be less on what we get in here and more on who's still out there. People in our communities who are still going through life without the hope of a Savior. Who are still walking through painful and difficult circumstances without the love and support and encouragement of a genuine church family. If we want to be the church, we've got to become a little less church-centric and a little more kingdom-centric. Jesus was certainly that way. In fact, it's interesting, if you read through the Gospels, these historical narratives of Jesus' life on this earth, you will find there are only two occasions when Jesus talks about the church. You will also notice that there are hundreds of occasions that Jesus talks about the kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom that he's bringing to this earth. And by the way, the kingdom of God is anywhere and everywhere. The will of God is being done. Any place where God is moving and working is the kingdom of God. And yes, that can happen in here, but the kingdom gets advanced out there. And so we have to become less church-centric and more kingdom-centric. In fact, this is really interesting. The two times that Jesus did talk about the church, in fact, anytime you read the word church in the New Testament, the Greek word that's used is the word ekklesia. It literally means those called out. In fact, in Greek culture, in Greek cities, an ekklesia was a group of people like a council who were called out from among the people. And guess what their purpose was? To care for their community. To ensure that people's needs were being met. And that justice was being served. That's why it's not surprising that Paul would write these words in Philippians chapter 2. He'd say, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your interest alone, but each of you to the interest of the others. And that command is not just to us as individuals, but it's a command to us collectively as a church family. And so if we are to focus external, not internal, then it begs the question, why bother to gather? Why bother to get together like we are today? Why do we spend all this time and energy and effort? Why don't we just get out there and be the church? Why don't we just get out there and do our individual thing? a legitimate question. And here's the answer. We need each other in here in order to do what God has called us to do out there. I think probably the best way 
to think about the purpose of these corporate gatherings, these Sunday morning corporate services, is to think of them like halftime for your favorite football team, right? In the middle of the game, the team comes together in a locker room. And in that period of time, it's a time to be refreshed and refueled. It's a time to be encouraged and to be challenged. It's a time to adjust the game plan, figure out what's working and what's not working. And that's why we gather as a church to do those things. But just like with your favorite football team, we can never forget that the game is won and lost out there, not in here. And so if we're going to be the church, we have to recognize that our focus needs to be external, not internal. Number two, the second thing we have to do to be the church is we have to work better by working together. To work better by working together. The phrase better together is not just a slogan we print on t-shirts. It is a core value and operating principle that we have as a church. That we must connect to each other. We work better together. And see, we stay connected to each other, not just for that halftime support and encouragement and accountability. We come together because we are more effective when we serve together. In fact, look at what the Bible says, the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. It says, two people are better than one. Why? Because they get more done by working together. I want you to circle that phrase, get more done. It's what engineers call synergy. It's this principle that two producers of energy, when they are put together to work together, they have a higher energy output than the sum total of the two individuals. They get more done, literally produce more work that's what synergy is. That's, that's not some new scientific discovery. People have known that for years, for centuries. In fact, that's why ancient farmers would yoke two oxen together to pull a load. Because they knew that two oxen working together could pull a heavier load than each individual oxen combined. We are better together. We work better when we work together. Jesus modeled this better together principle in his ministry. In fact, about halfway through Jesus' earthly ministry, he called his followers together. And by this point, it was not just the 12 apostles, but he had somewhere maybe around 100 other people following him. And he calls them together and notice what he says to them. Notice what he does, Luke 10, 1. It says, the Lord now chose 72 other disciples and he sent them ahead in pairs to all of the towns and places he planned to visit. Think about that for a minute. Right? Jesus has a limited amount of time 
left on earth. In fact, he's already past the halfway point at this point in his ministry. And there are literally hundreds and hundreds of these little towns and villages of people scattered everywhere. And with a big task ahead and a short period of time to do it, Jesus intentionally cuts his workforce in half. He could have easily reached 72 villages, but he chose to limit it to 36 by putting them together. Why? Because I believe for Jesus it was more about impact than scope. It wasn't about how big it could go, but how effective it could be. You know, it's interesting that when Jesus sent these teams out, he didn't send them to villages that he would not be able to get to himself. He actually sent them to villages he was planning to visit. In other words, they weren't being sent out for Jesus. They were being sent out ahead of Jesus to prepare the way for the message of hope that he was to bring. And I believe that same thing happens when we serve together. We prepare the way for Jesus to show up. When we link arms together, we prepare the way for Jesus to move in the lives of people around us. More than just building a wheelchair ramp or feeding the hungry or clothing the homeless, we make a way for the message of hope in Jesus to move in our community. When Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst, he wasn't just talking about a Sunday morning service. He was talking about when we serve as well. Now listen, don't hear what I'm not saying. I am not saying that you cannot serve Jesus on your own. In fact, there will often be times when God will bring someone in need into your life when you're all alone. The checkout line at Walmart or walking downtown. You're always going to have those God encounters where God has specifically placed you there to use you and work through you to help someone. I'm not saying that's not Jesus moving and preparing the way. I'm just saying that we work better and more effective and more impactful when we join forces together. When we work and serve together. That's why over these next six weeks, in addition to our Sunday morning messages and in addition to our weekly home group Bible studies, we're doing two things to help us serve together in our community. One are our home group service projects. A few months ago, we reached out to our home groups and asked them to begin praying about a place where they could serve and meet needs in our community, to pray and plan and, and seek out what God was leading them to do, maybe through one of our local partners, maybe through a need that the group was aware of, but we've asked all of our groups over this next six weeks to be a part of a service project in our community. Some of those may be a one-time event, during these next six weeks. Some of them may be multiple times. Some, some of them may be something every week. It's whatever God leads you and your group to do. We're serving together, and we will serve better when we do that way. 
The second thing we're doing over the next six weeks is something I call the big bring. The big bring is basically this. Several months ago, we reached out to our local community partners. These amazing faith-based organizations that are having a huge impact all of the time. They're on the front lines of meeting the needs of people in our community. And so we just reached out to them and said, what is something we can provide to you in bulk that will help you be effective at doing what God has called you to do? What are some things that if we bring you a lot of them, you can store them, you can use them? And it's so interesting across those 10 or 12 local partners, there were three things that were kind of universal, three things that they needed in bulk that they could store and use over a long period of time. One of those things, interestingly, was deodorant. Deodorant, men's and women's, just basic deodorant, doesn't matter what kind, just deodorant. The other, interestingly, toothpaste and toothbrushes. And the third is even more fascinating, trash bags. Kitchen-sized trash bags, yard-sized trash bags. You know why they have that need? Because all of them go through these regularly in their ministries, and in order to do that, they have actually have to spend money to buy these trash bags, which takes away from the resources to meet the needs of people on the street, people that they serve. And so by providing these things, we as a church can work better by working together to bless them in a way that allows them to keep doing what God has called them to do. So here's what I want to ask you to do. Over the next six weeks, Anytime, every time you're out grocery shopping or in the store, you roll past one of these things on the aisle, just get some extras. Just add a little more to your regular weekly or bi-weekly, whatever you do, and then just bring them into your campus on any of the Sundays. We're going to be collecting them every Sunday for the next six weeks. We're going to have a place available at all of our campuses for you to just drop those off. And then once we're done, we're going to distribute these to our local partners to make a difference. The big bring is about working better by working together. These home group service projects are about working better by working together. That's how to be the church. And then finally, the third thing, the third principle that we need, and maybe the most important one, if we want to be the church, we have to deepen our dependence on Jesus. We have to deepen our dependence on Jesus. Being the church is not about what we can accomplish for God. It is not about us going out and doing our projects and saying, Hey, God, look at what we did for you. Look at how we helped these people. Aren't we awesome, God? Look at all this stuff we brought in and gave away. We're, we're out there helping you, God. I promise you, God don't need our help to do what he wants to do. We have the privilege of being used by him to be a part of what he's going to do. See, being the church is not about what we can accomplish for God. It's about all of us connecting with Jesus in a way that allows all of us to surrender ourselves so that he can move and work in and through us. 
Jesus makes it very clear. Notice what he says in John 15, 5. Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But then notice this last part. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Listen, church, the impact that this next six weeks will have on our community will be directly proportional to our level of dependence on Jesus for him to do it in and through us. A very interesting event takes place with Jesus and his disciples in Matthew chapter 17. Jesus takes his three closest disciples, Peter, James, and John, and the four of them go up on top of a mountain. And what happens on the top of this mountain is an unbelievable story. You can read it for yourself. But what fascinates me is what happened at the bottom of the mountain with the nine disciples who were left. Because while they were waiting on Jesus and their brothers to come back down from the mountain, a man showed up with a child in trouble. The child had a demon that causes seizures, and he'd been dealing with this all of his life. And this father's heart was broken, and he was desperate for hope, desperate for healing. And so he came to Jesus' disciples and said, heal him. And they tried. I'm sure they tried everything they knew. I'm sure they had said all the words they had heard Jesus say. But no matter what they did, they could not heal this precious child. Later, when Jesus and the three returned from the top of the mountain, this father came back again, and he said to Jesus, can you heal my child? And Jesus simply cast that demon out. And in a moment, this child was healed and restored. After all the crowds left, Jesus' disciples, the nine, came to him and noticed what they asked, verses 19 and 20. It says, Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, Why couldn't we drive it out? Why couldn't we help? Why couldn't we serve you? And notice Jesus' answer. Because you have so little faith. Do you see that? The problem was that the demon was so big, it was more than they can handle. The issue was not that the problem was so difficult that they couldn't deal with it. In fact, the problem was not a lack of strength in them. The problem was their level of dependence on Jesus. And I believe that will be true for us moving forward, that our ability over these next six weeks to impact our community our ability to truly help hurting people, to truly make a difference, will be determined by the level of our faith in and dependence on Jesus to do it, not ourselves. And so as we get ready for this Be the Church journey, there's three things I want to ask every one of us to do. Over these next six days, between now and next Sunday, I'm going to ask you to do three things. Number one, I'm going to ask you to pray. To start praying right now, daily. Pray for this Be the Church these next six weeks. 
Pray individually. Pray together when you're with your home group. Pray over that project. Pray before you go to the project. Pray while you're doing the project. When you bring things in and you set them down on that table at your campus, pray and ask God to use it and bless it. If being the church requires dependent on Jesus, there's no greater expression of dependence on Jesus than seeking Him in prayer. The second thing I want to ask you to do over these next six days is get connected. Get connected. Since we work better by working together, you need to be connected with others in order to serve effectively. If you're not connected with a home group, I can't think of a better time. You want to be a part of one of these service projects? You want to be a part of making a difference? Then get in a group. Get connected. For those of you who are already in a group, recommit to truly connect, to be there, to be engaged over these next six weeks, to get excited about whatever project God has called you all to do. You got to pray. You got to get connected. And the third thing I want to ask you to do this week is refocus. Refocus. There's so many things around us that distract us. All of the politics and the fighting and the, all the arguing about treatments for the virus and getting the vaccine and what the president's doing or not doing, what the governor's doing. Man, you can spend all of your waking moments and energy and effort fighting that battle and focusing on that. But let me ask you, do you think that's what God call, has called you to do? Do you think that's your purpose in being his follower in this moment in history? What are you spending your energy on? What are you spending your time doing? What are you getting all passionate and fired up about? Is that really what you want the focus of your life to be about? Or do you want it to be about who he's called you to be and what he's called you to do? The answer to that question is found in this last verse on your outline. Romans 6.13 from the Living Bible paraphrase says, Give yourselves completely to God. Every part of you. Why? To be used for His good purposes. And that church is the heart of what it means to be the church. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you that you have called us to something so much more than just ourselves. That you have called us to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And so Jesus, as this ecclesia, as this group of people called out, we come together in unity seeking your strength, your wisdom, your discernment that would help us live out the purpose for which you've created us. God, none of this means anything if you're not in it. If we're not dependent and following and seeking you and the guidance of your Holy Spirit in us, this is an exercise in futility. And God, we don't want to waste another moment. So call us in 
to connection with you and with each other and then send us out to bring the message of hope to people who are desperate for it today. It's in your name we pray. Amen.